if you're working on ride on your fastball, okay, then work on ride on your fastball every day of catch play. And at the end of four to six weeks, like that's kind of when I try to reevaluate, like you're going to be better at riding your fastball. Like same thing with like an arm action focus. Like if you're trying to get into your scab more and trying to, you know, not lose so much elbow flexion, like, okay, then let's do it. And let's just hammer it. And that is your thing today. And that is your process today. And just don't get caught up in, you know, oh, I got to do this and this and this. Like, no, we're going to hammer this out four to six weeks. We're going to reevaluate. If you're better at it, perfect. We'll go target the next thing on the on the tier. If you're not, we're going to keep you in that bucket and you're going to stay there until we get the results we want. Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Payer here with Ryan Croton and Jordan Oseguera. And today we have Carter Caps with us. Uh, Carter has had a seven plus year MLB pitching career and then turned around after that. And he's actually working with pitchers and developing them um, at various levels. Um, so Carter, if you remember, um, is pretty famous for his uh, unique delivery. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, Ryan, I know you met Carter in some discussions with with the Mets and kind of um, took it from there. So Ryan, I'm gonna let you get started. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna set the stage of what I had uh, had thought about having Carter on, but I'm a pretty uh, serious person. When I hear the words "perfect mechanics," it, it it's really kind of offensive to me in some ways. And um, I, I constantly make a habit of looking at pitchers that are very deceptive. And they don't move the way that conventional coaches and scouts seem to think is the best way of pitching. And uh, it just makes sense to start talking to those pitchers to see their experience, because in our world, you know, we're selling a tool that's strength focused and our message is strength matters most. And it doesn't matter how you pitch. It doesn't matter. You know, anatomically, we're all different as athletes. Um, you know, we all have different motor control and coordination. But if our strength is down, that's a problem. And uh, it's just great to be able to connect with Carter. And I know, Jordan, maybe I'll turn it over to you because you've got some experience. You told an interesting story just previously to this podcast, you know, about how Car Carter came up on your radar. Yeah, so uh, I first heard about Carter, obviously, when he was, uh, I want to say it was the Marlins you debuted with, right? Uh, Mariners, I debuted. Mariners, 12, Mariners. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you were with the Marlins for a bit. Yeah. But um, I was working for Tom House at the time, and – you know, he was surprisingly one of those big advocates and helping get that rule put in the Carter caps rule, as they call it, to allow him to pitch the way that he wanted to pitch. Um, I know he was on, I think it was like MLB tonight or MLB network, whichever one it was talking about it. And, uh, you know, I think one of the big things that points out there is like Ryan pointed out is the delivery looks. And I think the way Tom described it was that it's funky with a pH. Um, but the bottom line is he had a good kinematic sequence. He had great balance and posture. He hits those checklists of, of a good delivery, but just because it looks different doesn't mean it's wrong. And I think that's something really important. And to make it even cooler, I think he threw 100 miles an hour, 101 every once in a while. So it's it it always fun for me to watch just because I like different stuff. Um, so I think it would be cool if you kind of touch on that rule a little bit. Obviously, you probably get that question all the time. But we have some younger, younger listeners, and I hate to throw dates on anybody, but I talk to guys all the time that don't even know who – you know, in a sense, Greg Maddox is. So I, if oh, you wow. don't mind giving yourself a little background, kind of how that, how that came up, I think that's going to be important, even though you've answered it a million times. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, like I said, debuted with the Mariners, uh, <clears throat> you know, pretty conventional delivery at the time, a little bit of crossfire, a uh, big like hip turn guy. 
uh, pretty low into my like leg drive uh, type delivery, but like, you know, foot stay connected to the ground, foot stay connected to the rubber. Uh, and then I got traded to the Marlins. Uh, and in that time period, you know, I, the Mariners had wanted to stand me up a little bit. I, I was like pretty, you know, had a little bit of trunk tilt going. Uh, they wanted to stand me up a little bit more and hope like I could throw more strikes. Uh, so I, like, I started standing up, standing up, and then I kind of got out of that like quality hip hinge a little bit. Uh, and then I got traded during that time. So, you know, I kind of got caught up with like what the, the Marlins and, and the Mariners wanted, uh, you know, because the Marlins had traded for the guy that was, you know, a little bit more uh, over the over the rubber. So uh, then I ended up tearing my UCL a couple of times. I had a few partial tears and it kind of pitched through it. But uh, during that off season, uh, it just like had a ton of like pain in the elbow and it was just like it wasn't going away and like I could throw with it. Uh, and it was still coming out, but it was like, it, it kind of created this big hitch in my arm. Uh, so it's like, I, you know, I got to time up my, my arm. I, I know I need to be, you know, somewhere between zero and like 15, 40 degrees, at least to give myself a shot, uh, you know, for that cocking to happen. Uh, so it's like, everybody gets so locked in on the lower half. Like if you look, the arm action, like has this big stab and kind of stalls out. Uh, so like the lower half is kind of just a way to buy time for my arm to get up. Like, cause you know, in that initial, like, you know, leg drive, like my arm's not up yet. And then it's like, as I get further, further down the mound it's buying me time, buying me time. And then all of a sudden I come up in here. Cause like, I do this really fast. Like, and that's my thing, right? Like I, I can rotate. Uh, it's just, I wasn't getting my arm up. Uh, and that was kind of like a, you know, self-organization, like compensation for me to give me that extra time that I needed, you know? Yeah. And I think you said a thing in there, a self-compensation. And that's something we pointed out before. The high-end throwers, your elite athletes, are what I like to call elite compensators. They'll find a way to create that movement to get in the positions they need to be in to compete at the highest levels. And they're not so dialed into, this is the mold I need to fit. They're willing to go, yeah, I'm checking a couple boxes, but I can adjust as needed. Yeah, yeah. For me, like when I teach my guys, you know, they're like five or seven, like things that I would like really like to have, but like those harder throwers, those hiring guys, like I only need them to do one or two really well. Like I'll try and bring the other stuff up, you know, make them a little bit better in those areas that they're lacking in. But like if they can do one or two things really well, it's like we're going to leverage that. We have to keep that good because like that's where your velo is coming, whether it's like your lead leg block or you, you create a ton of hip shoulder separation or, you know, you're just really, really strong. Like we find out whatever it is and we got to keep that there or else, you know, you're no longer in the big leagues, right? Like if you, if you start getting going backwards on the thing that you're elite at, then all of a sudden we got a problem. So I got to keep the elite there. And then I just try and bring the other things up to see if we can get you that extra knock or two. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a great point. And just for, for guys that are listening in, I know you just recently jumped on as the, the new pitching coach at Seattle university. Um, so if you don't, if you want to, you know, jump on and, and give a little bit of information on, on kind of what's your process. You said a couple things on there. You like to look at, um, just so people can get a little idea. Like, Hey, if I go play at Seattle university, what am I going to be working on with Carter on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I try and get guys like in these kind of movement buckets, you know, like what, what are they good at? Kind of identify that with video. And then we just start attacking them. So like, it would be like an individual throwing program essentially. And like, they have high days, they have low days, they have moderate days. And like, you know what your day is. We're going to match it up in the weight room. And it's like, like you said, like you guys think is like being really strong. It's like, and that's what I need. Like, I, I don't want you, you know, going really low, low intent in the weight room and then going really low intent, you know, at the throwing every day, like, you just trained yourself to be really average. And like, that's, that's awesome. If you want to go be average, but like, I'm trying to get guys to the big leagues, I'm trying to make guys millionaires. So it's like, 
I want guys that like they have that top end velo. Like, how do you get that? You got to have top end intent as well. And just like a lot of guys, like, you know, they just don't know how to regulate intent. So like their high days end up being moderate, their low days end up being moderate. And then it's just all even keel. And it's just, they have a hard time getting in that gear. And it's like, you know, bases loaded games on the line. Like I need that extra gear. I need that, you know, really, I, I need that mean guy to come out. Like, I don't really want the nice guys in the locker room, right? Like I need a different guy out there then. Yeah, Ryan, real quick, if you don't mind, one of the things I really liked in working with you is we did a lot of those weighted ball programs together with the Angels. And we usually took those guys that occasionally they'd flash some some pretty good stuff, but it was, again, that same thing, is they got used to running in second gear. So we wanted to take them and teach them how to get into third, fourth gear. And, and when they really needed to, they could run there in those higher RPMs for a longer period when that, when that winning runs on second base. And one of the things that I think really helped with that, Ryan – was not just adding in what we were doing on the throwing side, but what you were doing with them in the weight room. So I, I just think that'd be cool because again, strength is such a huge aspect to why you were able to pitch the way you did mm. to do that. You have to be a freak with the way that you moved. Um, Ryan, if you don't mind kind of jumping on that a little bit, I just think it'd be cool to hear a little bit about your, like Ryan's view of what we did in the weight room and then hearing Carter's thoughts on how you prepared in the weight room as well. Yeah, I mean, in training in a week, in a week. So it depends on kind of what the athlete's doing from in season, preseason, off season to velocity enhancement programming. Let's just let's just quickly touch on velocity enhancement program because we're in the off season, and uh, guys are using weighted balls. They're they're doing what they can do to to bump up their velo, but in the training program for a velocity enhancement program, the athlete needs to focus on Tuesdays and Fridays to be pretty heavy lifts. You need to about 72 hours between, and those could be your heavy throwing days as well. There's got to be a lot of recovery between. So, you know, if you're kind of going, you know, hell bent for, for high intensity all the time, there has to be periods of recovery, but on those training days that you have, you know, your, your high intensity days, you need to touch on, on resistances that are at least over 70% of a, of a max effort. And if the athletes have feedback, that's one thing that's so important. It's kind of inherent to our device about feedback is that athletes need to understand how to appreciate their intent. So we use velocity-based tools. We evaluated barbell speeds. We evaluated trap bar speeds. We evaluated jump performance. We, we gave these athletes a number so that they were completely focused on providing intent. And, and that's kind of what Carter was talking about too. Like it's one thing to execute, but you got to think that you're going to be moving at a high rate of velocity all the time. It doesn't matter what the load is, whether you're lifting at under 50% and it's a highly dynamic lift and you're trying to improve uh, contractile velocity or it's heavy, you know, you're at 85% of your max and you're getting to a, like a quasi max. You're trying to think I'm moving this fast. I'm moving this fast. That's, that's like in your mind, you're thinking of a speed gauge. You're thinking of, hit, you know, pushing down the pedal on a car. You're giving yourself all your mental models to give that intent. And, and that's where we see results, you know, with, with these weighted ball programs, it's just not throwing alone. You know, the throwing can give you that quick fix that can give you the early season velo, but the ones that sustain you over the course of time and that gets your velocity to the highest level is from what's happening in the weight room. You know um, you're getting a lot of elasticity from throwing, but you got to put the horsepower behind it. So, you know, the intent, the intensity has to be up the mental models, you know, the encouragement. I know that that was one thing in, in uh, our training. We were loud. 
there were times in that push day, like we knew those guys were coming in after they throw their weighted balls. They're kind of spent because a lot of them, the run and gun throws take a lot out of them. We do sprint work before to get them ready. But then when they're coming in the weight room, man, like the coaches, you have to have energy. If you want to get a lot out of your players, you have to have energy. You got to, you got to, uh, you know, let them know when they're not giving their best and you got to encourage them. You got to get really excited when they start hitting PRs in the weight room too. So everything is goal directed. I know that's a long-winded approach to what you're saying, but, you know, that's just velocity enhancement training for the offseason. I'll stop there. So, uh, Carter, is that, do you jive with that, or is there something there that you felt like maybe you tweaked it a little different? Uh, no, not like he's saying, you keep the high days high and keep the low days low. Uh, I usually do two high-intent days a week, uh, whether that's, you know, like a high-intent with, you know, overload, underload balls, and then they go and get, you know, a 10, 15 pitch touch and feel off the mound. But like, whatever it is, the high intent day for me has to be followed, like you said, by a recovery day. Like, you don't get to do two back to back high intent days. That's for relievers, you know, like mid season. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, even then you try and avoid that. Uh, but yeah, no, like, like you said, you know, you're trying to give them that, that recovery window because recovery is huge. And, and if you guys, you know, don't, really you know, lock in on your recovery day just as much as you lock in on your high intent day like you just blow through your recovery day and then all of a sudden you plateau sooner right like we need that adaptation you know uh, and, and a lot of people just kind of blow through their recovery days and think oh like it's not as important right like I, I don't want to you know take a day off and not get better it's like no you're getting better because if you went hard enough on your high intent day you you should need that recovery day and and I got another question on that. And this is uh, I'm sorry to jump ahead of your questions, Ryan. We'll get to them. But you know when you get okay when you get someone on, there's sometimes you have some random questions that pop up on the on the top of your head. For me as a coach, where I've noticed coaching in both you know collegiate baseball and professional baseball is it's easy to manage those recovery days when an athlete's just kind of going okay. But the hard ones are when they perform really really well. That's usually when they want to go, I'm going to go train even more. Or when they perform really, really bad, you have those guys in those buckets that go, well, I need to go, you know, get rid of my frustrations and really beat it up. And that's usually when they start hitting those peaks or those valleys and they do so much extra training that that it knocks them down. How would you go about giving some advice to someone on handling the mental emotional stresses? Because the physical prep, while it's, it's taxing, it's, it's difficult. The mental emotional prep, is what allows you to stick with that process over the course of 162 games. Or if you're in, in college, it's really a 12-month season because you're playing mm-hmm. summer ball, you're prepping in the, in the fall, in the spring, dealing with classes, two in the morning weight room for some reason. If you don't mind going over some of that mental-emotional prep. Yeah, I think uh, towards the end of my career, I was much better at it. But like early on, yeah, I, like I rode the highs and lows just like everybody else with the roller coaster. But like towards the end, you're like, I'm not as good as my worst, or I'm not as bad as my worst day. I'm not as good as my best day, right? Like I'm somewhere in between. So like I, I tried to view it as like the batters are just giving me feedback on what I'm doing. Like it's me against me. Like and it's just like more like golf instead of anything else. Like I'm not like in direct competition with this batter. Like yeah, I want to get him out and I want to hurt his feelings, but it's like no, I'm I'm competing against myself. Like I I am mad when I hang a slider, even if I strike the guy out. I am mad when like I get a call that was a ball and them prior calls a strike because like that that wasn't what I was trying to do like no like give me that ball back I want to I want to repeat it you know and I think just making it more internal instead of so external because like you know when the lights come on you know it tends to bring out the best and worst mm-hmm. thing guys 
Uh, and I think like the guys that really step up when the lights come on seem to be more like internally focused, like, no, nah, no, nah. like I, it, it doesn't matter the stage, like, right. Like the size of the stage doesn't matter. Like I still have to execute and like they, and they get mad like when they, they don't execute. Cause you know, like that was and the same thing in the weight room. Like you have a, a low PR day and it's like, no, that wasn't my best deadlift. Like, you know, I, I got to be better than that. Like, and it's just the same thing for me. Like I, I was always a guy that really liked practice. Like I enjoyed practice. Cause like, that's when you get the process right like the the game is just the reward you know that's just like oh yeah you know that's, that's my test at the end of the day like oh yeah you know no I, I am getting better you know but the practice is where all the work's done yeah and this this is something we were actually talking about this morning and we want to do a little more more follow-up on this with in a, in a later date when we have a little more time on it and stuff but you know we were talking about people confuse competition and practice too often to where there's so many people that go oh no I played 142 games I got way better this year but when you're in competition, all you're doing is testing what you've done in practice. Yeah. And you can't really know what you need to improve on until you fail in competition. And then you go back to the drawing board and work. You, you got to rough out those, those edges or smooth mm. out those rough edges and really kind of put the shine on what it is you're doing. And that's just like you were saying, you know, oh, you didn't get your best PR on that deadlift. Okay. Well, well, why, how do I adjust mm. my process to make sure next time when I do that in six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, I hit that PR. Or yeah. I hung that slider. What do I adjust in my process to make sure next time I get that slider down and away or middle down? So I, this is this is all awesome stuff that when you have a guy who's played in the big leagues and the the one thing I always like I like to point out is everyone's going to get told what they're bad at when they're in the minor mm -hmm. leagues. You don't get a lot of good feedback when it comes down to it. It's usually hey that's not going to work in the big leagues. Well, how do we know? I'm not, I'm in, I'm in rookie ball right now. You know, it's always told mm -hmm. how awful you are for the most part, not always. And, and especially with a guy who throws the way you do, that's why I think the process management aspect of this is so important because you don't deal with the normal everyday, Hey, you need to add ride to your fastball or don't throw across your body. It was, Hey, don't throw across your body. Plus get your arm in a different position. Plus don't jump. Plus make sure you stand taller. Plus make sure you're quicker, but also at the same time, be slow. It's like, yeah. what in the world's going on here? You know? So just, if, if you can just give some information on filtering information to make sure you're making that your own as well. And again, Ryan, I'm sorry for hopping in on there again. I said, that was my last question, but I, I want to make sure we're, we're squeezing what we can out of this information here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, the game speeds up on guys quite a bit. Yeah. Same thing in practice. Like, if you have like a pre-pitch routine or whatever it is, if you have a pre-practice routine, like go in there, like have two, one to two things you're just going to hammer. Like every time I get a guy on the mound, I say, what are we working on today? Like, I don't care what it is. Like, I just want a plan. Like, it doesn't matter. Like he could say like the most ridiculous thing. And I would like kind of corral it to the point where, okay, maybe that's not really what we want to do, but like, what would you say like would be equivalent to that uh, and, and give them a cue. And it's like, now go execute it. Like just hammer it. Be like a dog on a bone, right? Like if you're working on ride on your fastball, okay, then work on ride on your fastball every day of catch play. And at the end of four to six weeks, like that's kind of when I try to reevaluate, like you're going to be better at riding your fastball. Like same thing with like an arm action focus. Like if you're trying to get into your scab more and trying to, you know, not lose so much elbow flexion, like, okay, then let's do it. And let's just hammer it. And that is your thing today. And that is your process today. And just don't get caught up in, you know, oh, I got to do this and this and this. Like, no, we're going to hammer this out four to six weeks. We're going to reevaluate. If you're better at it, perfect. We'll go target the next thing on the on the tier. If you're not, we're going to keep you in that bucket and you're going to stay there until 
we get the results we want. And I think you get a lot of like noise where it's like, if you have too many voices, same thing, you have too many like different cues. It's like, no, like this is your cue, like write it down. Like you're going to tell me your cue and then I'm going to start using that cue for you. And it's like, that's your cue every day. Your, your cue every day is to drive your elbow back to get your arm into scat retraction. It's like, okay, perfect. Like then that needs to be, you know, written on your glove, written on your hat, whatever, written in your locker. You need to see that every day and like just hammer it out. Like you're going to get better at it if you do it that way. But if same thing in the weight room, like if you're working on your hip hinge and you're working on a deadlift and like sometimes you go in there and, you know, you just want to go do curls and, you know, bench like, okay, well then what are we doing? Oh, that game. Right? Like, yeah. You know, like that's not it. Like we have to stay focused on the process. Uh, so I, I think that like, and I'll give the guys sheets where it's like, they know their bucket it tells them why they're in that bucket. Uh, so it's like, they read it every day. Like that's just your sheet until you get out of it. You know, this, this is amazing. I, I'm just prefacing cause, cause Carter, you are a very wise coach. It's kind of unbelievable <laughs> because you that. played for so long, but like, you know, when people are listening out there, especially the coaches, there's one, there's a couple of things that makes this whole process unique is one Carter has a timeline and a lot of coaches, they don't put their foot down. You know, he says four to six weeks. Hey, we're going to reevaluate this. We're going to adjust. We're, we're going to be able to pivot if we need to. But there's a time frame, you know, that he goes back and he evaluates. And that's that's kind of the consistency with our company, too, is, you know, being able to evaluate, being able to pivot, pivot, make individualized programmings for guys. But one of the things that really stands out to me is athlete ownership. Literally what Carter's saying is he has a conversation with his athletes and he's not imposing a ton of stuff on them. He's listening to what they say and he's able to help channel them so that they feel they own their process. That to me is when you pr produce high coaching buy-in. That's what, in, in my opinion, that's what a major league pitching coach is like because they're able to communicate with all these all-stars. Now he's got college kids that are amateurs. There's no price tag attached to them. But, you know, hopefully eventually you get, you find himself at a big league level, but he's able to allow these athletes to feel special and to feel there, that there is price tags attached to them. It's called scholarship allocation. Yeah, that's true. And uh, when they don't yeah. produce, you actually have a manager <laughs> to answer to and go, why is this guy not getting anyone out? What are you doing with this guy? I've been there. I've coached in college. It's, it's more stressful than coaching in the minor leagues. Oh, I, I, I love it. I love what I'm hearing. And, it, you know, I don't see a lot of that in coaching. You know, in, in my opinion, some of the things that I've dealt with and dealing with other coaches and talking to athletes from other coaches is that the athletes don't feel a part of it. And I know we, we didn't we didn't get to uh, Carter's experience as a player all that much. But like Carter, I think this kind of goes into communicating, like how often would coaches come in and say, I want to change this with you. I want to change that with you. You know, and, and like, I, I think part of this experience that you've had as a player that I, I want you to talk about has shaped you to be the kind of coach you are today. So, I mean, I'm just curious because well, I worked with injured athletes, man, and I'd ask them, okay, tell me all the movements that you were asked to do within the year. You know, what, what, what were the changes to mechanics? And some guys would give me a sheet full of things mm -hmm. like they were a ping pong ball. And I was trying to see, okay, well, you changed tension here. You change the length here, you know, all these different things. So man, just, just go into that. I'm, ex I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing against my coaches that I had coming up, but like, they didn't talk to me, right? Like they didn't, like I, I heard from them in the off season, you know, they would call and say, Hey, Merry Christmas. How's it going? Great. 
can't wait to see in February or February 14th, whatever it is, always around Valentine's Day. Uh, like that was my off-season contact for basically every team I played for. Uh, and I just felt like that was unacceptable. Uh, and so like, I, you know, I, eventually I was like sending in videos and stuff and like they would get back to me like when they could, but like I'd be sending in videos every day and I didn't care, you know? And it was just like, I'm going to get the most out of this experience. And that's kind of what I tell my guys. Like, I'm like your sounding board. Like you're going to have questions. You're going to see stuff on pitching end or whatever. You're going to see stuff in a major league game. Like, don't just like change your grip. Like ask me like, yeah, we do need more sleep on your slider. Like, yeah, you should try that trend in slider. Right. Like, like, but like, there's just no communication there. I felt like, and I didn't want that to happen. I felt like when uh, I was going good, nobody even like acknowledged I was there. It was like, just keep throwing a hundred, like just keep throwing a hundred, you know, flip in your breakers when you can, like, it's not, it's not your second best pitch for sure. But like, you know, just work on that a little bit. Uh, but no, I, I just felt like it was kind of like unguided, like a kind of a ship without a sail. Uh, and I just felt like I didn't want to be that as a coach. And then when the mechanic stuff came about, like I was just like on my own, basically for a large por portion of it, uh, the Padres did a really good job of like, you know, trying to get me right. But it was just like for, I mean, to be granted, like not a lot of people did that, uh, but uh, it was just like, Hey, you're going to have to figure it out. And I just, I didn't know why I threw hard. Uh, like now I do. Uh, but like, I, I just didn't know why I threw hard. So I didn't know what I needed to do. Cause like when, when I get in the game, like I just want to hurt somebody. Right. Like, I, like I'm just like attack mode and it's like, I want to throw hard. Uh, but I didn't understand force production. So I was like, I didn't know how I threw hard. So I couldn't get back there. And it's like, I couldn't make the changes that they needed. So it was just, uh, it was really frustrating to be honest for a year or two. And that's kind of what made me want to go into coaching. Like I didn't never want anybody else to experience that. That's awesome. That's, that's, you know, I figured all these experiences we've all had different coaching experiences of athlete, as athletes. And uh, you know, now with the world of, of heavy amounts of data, you know, in terms of pr producing a game plan for your pitchers, I mean, how do you go about that? Cause as a, as a pitcher, at the major league level, there's so much information that you're getting on, on hitters and some of them, it's not even you, you know, like what you're getting from the analytics staff is like, you know, what this athlete does against a typical righty or a lefty, you know, you got guys who are side armors that some of this stuff doesn't make sense. So like, I'm, I'm curious how you prepare guys for games, what info you give them, how you get them right for competition. And, yeah, and real quick on yeah. that, if you don't mind touching on it, how you did that when you were in pro ball, because you just came leaving kind of a travel coordinator's role. And then how, how is that going to change it all now that you're, you're in college and have a little less, little different information? Yeah. So the, you know, portals are different, obviously. Uh, Seattle U is putting in a track man unit. So that's going to be huge. Uh, they do have Rapsodo, have uh, Edutronic camera that we can use. So like the player development stuff is largely similar to uh, what I had when I was with the Mets it's just like it's all of me right there's no like really analytics it's just like whatever I interpret uh so like I have my own biases obviously and I try and avoid those best I can but I think what you do is you say okay you try and go in whatever level you're at major league triple a double a you know high school right you find league average like what is a league average fastball okay what does a league average average fastball look like velo uh ride spin efficiency spin till okay perfect we know we don't want to be average, right? That's the one the hitter sees the most. We want to be above average or below average. So below average would be more sync, above average be more ride. Okay, like you're in, you know, a 115, like let's push you closer to that 110 spin tilt and hopefully pick up an inch or two a ride. So like it's the same stuff with the movement. We're just going to hammer it. So I'll give them a clean fuego ball or a 
uh, something I've started doing lately. Uh, there's a ball that I just draw like a, a line right on the four seam grip. So it's just a vertical line. It's like, I want to see the line, like show me the line every time you play catch, like this is your catch play ball. Like once we get into, you know, spin your stuff, like once you come back in, like I'll give you a different ball, but like, I want to see the line on the ball. Like that's telling me you're back spinning it. Like if the line is wonky, like you're cutting it, maybe it has trunk leak, maybe it's your hand position, whatever. Great like, usage of wonky, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, so <laughs> I, I want to see like, uh, the, and that, that's your like, you know, focus there. So like you would have a pitch metric focus and you would have a movement focus. Uh, and then same thing, four to six week evaluation period. Uh, but then as far as like in game usage, it's like, okay, he against league average sliders, he, you know, crushes. I don't have a league average slider. I have a better than league average slider. Okay, perfect. That doesn't really apply to me. I'm still going to use it. I'm just not going to leave it up out over the plate, right? Like if uh, the guy hammers two seamers, perfect. I don't throw a two seamer. <laughs> like, okay, so I'm going to write it at the top of the zone. Like I'm going to get in on him. Like it's just understanding your skill set. Cause like when you get the heat maps, it's average, you know, it's not even average by slot. Usually it's just average. So like, Tyler Rogers gets the same heat map as, uh, you know, Melanson. Like, it, you know, doesn't make any sense, right? They have completely different skill sets and mm -hmm. different pitches. But it's like, and that's another thing that drives me nuts. It's like, what is a slider? Like, is this a slider? Is this a slider? This slider? Like, they're all sliders. Like, you can't just say, you know, he crushes sliders. Like, does he crush my slider? Like, I need to know that. And I think largely just knowing what your skill set is and then, like, understanding, like, you got to be honest with yourself. Like, I, I have a largely average slider. So, like, I, I have to execute with my slider. I cannot get away with mistakes. So if I do go, you know, oh, oh, slider, like I still need to get it there. I can't just go and get me over. Like when I go oh, two to the slider, like I got to get it to that spot. I got to get it to his back foot. I cannot leave it up over out of the plate. So it's like, just manage your misses from there. I think you said something really important and I'll piggyback that off. I had the opportunity to work with Joe Blanton when he came back as a reliever after he kind of just quit, didn't like baseball for a bit, came back as a reliever. One of the things he changed in his scouting reports was, I think, I believe he had to go to an outside source, but he said, I only want to know what hitters do against people like me. Yeah. So he said, if they're, you know, plus or minus X amount of velo, plus or minus X amount, we didn't have track man at that, like fully at that time. But he said, if they're plus or minus graded similar to my, you know, cutter change of whatever pitch he's thrown. I only want to know what those hitters have done against guys like, like me. Yep. And then he was able to dial in his ability because he's like, I don't have three innings to figure this out. I'm not a starter anymore. I yep. come in and at the time he was with, I believe it was the nationals. It was the year he was able to dip between the nationals and the, uh, the Royals on that playoff bonus. And he got a world series ring. Cause I, you know, he, he ended up getting the world series ring with the Royals on that. Both those teams were in the postseason. What a great year, you know, <laughs> double dip on a playoff bonus, but he comes back. And he's like, I come in with a runner on third and one out. I don't have three hitters to figure out. I need to know what I need to do right now to get this guy. And mm -hmm. I think you said that perfectly, that it's like, yeah, this guy's great against league average, but I'm below average of the league on this, or I'm an above average. So you have to be able to dial that plan in specifically for your skill set. Yeah. With the, with the TrackMan CSVs now, it's so easy to do. Like you can just go yeah. in there and tab, tab it and you can, I, I, I did it with uh, my guys at the complex. And it's like, you have Phil Maton slider, you know, lacking one mile an hour. Right. Like, so it's like, they have a comp and it's like, go look at video, see what that guy does. Like don't look <coughs> up video of Scherzer slider that you don't have. Right. Go look at, you know, Maton slider, or, you know, uh, go look at uh, sales, you know, fastball, whatever, like, like just understanding like, I mean, it'll be, you know, I can filter it down to like, you know, the quarter inch, like, and it's like, you know, you've got 
eight inches horizontal. You got, you know, 75 miles an hour on the slider. Like you have this guy's slider essentially, like, but you're not using it like him. Like if you go look at, you know, other guys' heat maps, like a lot of the best guys, like their heat map matches their pitch uses map. And it's looks like you can't even tell the difference between the heat map and the pitch uses map, right? Like it's like they, they just overlap. The cold spots on the, the uh, like Wobas and ex-Woba charts, like that's where their throw ends the most, right? Like they're, they're leveraging their skill set, just like they leverage, you know, whatever they do well with the mechanic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got a, I got a buddy who's, who's, who's just recently become a D1 pitching coach out in Southern California. And he's learning a lot of this analytics stuff because he's been a coach at a junior college. You know, he, he played for me in college. I know I've heard uh, Bart and Ryan both refer to where I coached at as the Ivy league of the West coast. So the analytics is a little <laughs> higher, higher status there over at Vanguard university. Um, but he, he's a division one college pitching coach now. And he's been going through some of those same things. Of like, how do I take all this information that I've never really had access to and make sense of it? And, he, and we're running through that same process that you just talked about of going, yeah, understand what average is number one for your group because you guys mm -hmm. don't you can't compare that to everyone else in your conference yet. You don't have that data, but yeah. once you know the average of your group, then you can start understanding. Okay, where are my guys at? How do I need to develop this? How do I develop that? And then just go on to you know Statcast data, mm -hmm. and you can start grabbing some general inferences. Now it's a little different if you you got to know where to find it in a TrackMan CSV to find similar stuff to to, to Statcast, but if you know where to get it. Now you can do exactly what you just talked about and you go, okay, you know, here is, you know, player a slider. He compares really well to actually Kershaw's breaking ball. So then you can actually put those apples to apples comparisons of, of dialing in a plan for what you should be, what you should be looking for. And it helps you, helps you understand. Like if you think a guy should be build, be building right on his fastball, but it turns out he's closer to an elite two seam. Maybe you go with that elite two seam to start. Oh, yeah. um, just some jumping off points. I don't know if you guys have anything to throw in on that. Well, I, I just like the whole, you've kind of separated it where the, in the game, we're using analytics to win with what we have. So you're going out there and you're going to use what you have and you got to be honest about what you have. And then you're using the analytics or your game plan for training and practice to increase that rise or do whatever you're doing, but you got to take what you've got into the game and win. And, and I think that's just a great way of looking at it. Oh yeah. Like I tell guys, like don't get beat on your third best pitch. Like games on the line. Like you're going to, if you lose the game, like you're going to have to go in and look at everybody in the eye, like on the way back to the bus, you know, and it's like, everybody's always making eye contact with the guy that blew the game. It's like, God, I, I've made a lot of eye contact. Yeah. I blew a lot of and games. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's so much easier to make that like walk of shame when you, you know, got beat. Like when I get beat on my fastball, like if I get beat on a change up, it's like, I can't, I can't look guys in the eye. It's like, no, I cost us the game because I went with a, my, not my number one weapon. Right. Like if I get beat with a fastball, like that's my go-to, that's been my go-to my whole career. Like, I'm going to get beat on fastballs. I don't get beat on change-ups, you know what I mean? So. That's awesome. Ryan, Jordan, what else? This is our chance. What are you going to ask? Go for I it, mean, Ryan. I've dominated this question asking so far. Uh, I guess, you know, for me, if you could go back to your development, to your – the beginnings, let, let's just say – it could be as, as early as when you first started baseball. It doesn't matter to me, but what things would you change in your process, you know, that you think might've given you even more of a better opportunity at the highest level? 
Yeah, I think now it's a little different because the internet is so, you know, it's kind of an equal playing field, right? Like education is the great equalizer. Uh, I think I would go back and as soon as I could afford it, I would pay for quality like coaching. Uh, I, I think that gets, you know, overlooked somewhat. Like, yes, you got to have the skill skit. Yes, you got to have the genetics, but like quality coaching and like you don't have to pay for it for like a year. But like if you could get like a few quality coaching points for like, you know, a week or two or a month. And it's just like, like I said, just hammer that out. And then, you know, you go, go back to that coach in two years, like, Hey, what do I need to work on now? Like just that quality aspect, because uh, like, unfortunately, like, and it's gotten better, but like, there's just a lot of coaches out there that don't quite know, or they know enough to be dangerous. Uh, where it's like, if you can hammer these movement patterns early, if you can, you know, catch some stuff, like if, if a guy comes in, like, like, uh, I'll always give the example, like, you look at all the Dominican guys we get, like they all have these amazing arm actions. Like it's like survival of the fittest, right? Like the Dominicans that aren't able to hit really like that are shortstops that have these really good arm actions. Like we put them on the bump. So it's like, we get this like crop of like elite arm actions, like just based off of like survivorship bias. But like, if you ha almost had that, you know, coaching early on, like, could we, could we coach that arm action? Could we, you know, have more guys play shortstop or, or just multiple positions or whatever and not be so sport specific from the onset. Nice. Hey, I, um, I think this has been great. I've enjoyed it. I think, uh, I'm, I mean, if I was looking at schools to play baseball, I'd definitely be looking. I mean, it's impressive. Vanguard University. At, at, at Vanguard, <laughs> obviously, but Seattle University as well. I mean, just, just the, the, the wisdom, I mean, coming out of your mouth, it just, it's just, uh, it's exciting. Um, you know, I think uh, if you're hearing this and want to hear more, I'm going to put some links in the show notes. I'll probably find a video tour of, of your delivery just so people know what the heck we're talking about as well. Um, and if you've got any questions about this or others, just please um, ask us either over on our site, armcare.com or subscribe here. And, uh, you know, once again, thank you for joining us and I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. Like, this has been awesome. Like I said, I, I can talk baseball all day. So uh, I appreciate you guys getting me out of the uh, humdrum of just uh, just sitting at uh, these TrackMan CSV sheets. So <laughs> <laughs> I have been awesome. there as well. So I get you. <laughs>